0: You are now listening to the Lone Wolf, Lone Wolf, Lone Wolf, the Lone Wolf Podcast.
1: Chicago, Chicago.
0: Hello, everyone, to episode seventeen of the Lone Wolf Podcast on a very rainy day in all Illinois. Uh, it's good, though, because we got a lot of farmland here that needs the rain. Um, but just like a couple episodes that I've done before, I uh, traveled and felt compelled to tell you about it. Um, so let's just get into that real quick. So let me just start off with saying uh, I'm not sure what date it was, but um, me, my brother, John, and uh, a guy we know named John, He's also named John. Uh, His name is John. Actually, no, I'm not going to say his last name. Who cares? Um, We went to Indianapolis, which was a city I've never been to before, uh, to go see Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, a.k.a. AKA the Canadian Sage, a.k.a. Kermit the Frog. Um, The guy is... I, I don't know how to explain him. Well, I guess let me just explain who he is as a professional person. He's a practice... He's a veteran clinical psychologist, uh, been doing it for many years, got thousands of hours in it. He is a University of Toronto psychology teacher and an uh, author as well. Uh, but basically, he put out a book this year called 12 Rules for Life, and An Antidote to Chaos. And he's just doing a book tour for that one of the stops in Indianapolis. And so uh, me and my brother and John did that. We took a little three and a half hour ride, which is like nothing. Uh, Ever since I took that ride back from my trip when I went out west, I think it was like it had to be 22 or 23 hours driving from uh, central south Utah. Um, I think we went through a little, little tiny bit of Arizona. And then through New Mexico, Texas, Arkansas, or not Arkansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and then Illinois. I think it was like 20, it had to be 22 or 23 hours, so like three and a half is, that's a walk in the park for me. But uh, yeah, we went to Indianapolis. Um, I was surprised by how clean and how just nice the city looked. Um, yeah, that was so that was kind of nice. We uh, got there, and then uh, we were kind of hungry, so we stopped by a place called Goodfellas Pizzeria, which is like a New York-style pizza. But I I was kind of, uh, I was a little bit um, disappointed. It was called Goodfellas, and I was expecting to see some Goodfellas, like the movie by Martin Scorsese. Scorsese or Scorsese? I don't, tomato, tomato. Uh, I didn't see one, like a little piece of of, uh, memorabilia from the movie, but I'm sure Goodfellas is more like a nod to what, the mobsters were called, not the movie itself. Uh, and honest to God, it was the biggest slices of pizza I'd, I'd ever seen. I don't know if that's just how it is in New York. Uh, but a single slice, I had to put it on two two paper plates just to even hold on there. Like, hold for, for the, the single slice to be, like, not be touching your hands or, or the ground or anything. And even then, it was, like, it was... <laughs> It was barely on the plates, so It was insane. And it wasn't too bad. I mean, comparing it to Little Caesars where you can get a whole pizza for $5, it wasn't bad because it was like $3 a slice. But the $3 for a slice, it's to be able to order it right on the spot and for them to get it out of the thing, hand it right to you, and to eat it. Like, it doesn't take that much time. So it's kind of worth the price, and it's it's nice and convenient. And I can see why it was uh, rated pretty high. Uh, but, yeah. We we got a slice of pizza and then we went to um, I think it's called the old theater, it's something. It has a different name on the outside, but it's called the old Old National Theater, Old National Center. There we go, um, in downtown Indianapolis, and uh, yeah, I I thought we were gonna get Dave Rubin as the opening guest, but it was just it was just uh, Jordan all the way through. He did a little lecture and uh, Q and A afterwards, but uh, since we're on the topic of Jordan Peterson, let me just get into uh, some things that that kind of that kind of stood out to me during the lecture. So one of the two things that really stood out to me was, uh, it's one of the rules. I, I believe it's one of the rules in his book, uh, 12 Rules for Life and antidote, an, an antidote to Chaos. There we go. It's a little bit of tongue toaster. Um, and that rule is to clean your room. And like he even admits, Himself, that sounds silly, but he delves into the the statistics of why he says that. And I know I'm pra- paraphrasing here a little bit, but he said that. Uh, and he, I I could probably, if I can find the sound clip of it, I can actually put it in here. Um, I actually tried to download the the talk on YouTube, but for some reason, I don't know if it's legal reasons, I wasn't able to like download it. I'll still try to do that um, if I can. Uh, but if not, I'll just use this as as uh, kind of what I, I remember hearing at the lecture but also re-listening to on YouTube. And he says, uh, let me see, let me try to find my place again, sorry. <laughs> he says that a seventh, one seventh of your life is spent in your room. And he said that if you spend a seventh of your life in, in that room where you ha- where, where your habits manifest, then why not be disciplined and make your room as pristine and as beautiful as you can? He says the I oh well actually before I dive into like what else I had written here, uh it's another thing I didn't write down, but he said that um kind of what is right in front of you? What is right in front of you that you can make better? What hell what hell is right in front of you that is making your life even the tiniest micro like microscopic bit worse? And he said, well, is your room. And like, why not start with that? And uh, but let me get back to what I wrote about that here. Just give me a second. And uh, so what I wrote here is the idea is that your room is a microcosm is a microcosm of your larger surroundings and that how efficient your room is set up uh, will bleed into how efficient you can be in the community and in the world. But also the psychology of what a messy room does to you will also bleed into the world. Like if you have a messy room, stresses you out. You can't find where anything is. You give up trying to find something. Then that kind of behavior can... I'm not saying it always can, um, at least from my knowledge. But it can lend itself out into your community life. And uh, I just kind of thought that was pretty interesting because like... Like he kind of jokes about it. He's like, your mom has told you to clean your room all the time, but... Um, and it's, it's easy to kind of shrug that off as like, oh, that's just silly. But when he dives into that, he he, he didn't really think about it, like in a deeper way like that, like it's actually pretty important to, um, (laughs) it's actually pretty important because it's not just a good habit or a good thing to do, like keep your room tidy, but it's, it's good. It's good for your soul, good for you as a person in your everyday life and in, in your life as a timeline. And number two, um, now this one was a little bit more serious and kind of sad, uh, but after Jordan Peterson did a lecture, I think it was 70-minute lecture, uh, or not really a lecture, just him talking, him just going over his book, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he came out and did a QA and a session for the crowd, and uh, somebody asked a question, quote, I plan on taking my own life very soon. Why shouldn't I? End quote. And Jordan responded to that by saying that you have no idea how long of an impact that has on the people that love you. He said that he's personally had clients of his that have never gotten over the death. Like decades later, they've never gotten over, it and they keep on going over and over uh, this vicious cycle in the head about what could I have done. Uh, it just, I mean, it's not... its it's not their fault, but they, they just keep on coming up with reasons over and over again. And it's like, it never ends. Even decades later, like the family never gets over it. Um, so that was one of the reasons that he said not to take your own life. Uh, he also said that you have no idea how intrinsically valuable you are and how you owe it to yourself and to society to offer your value. And that, that point is something that I'd like to expand on a little bit more, actually. And the various talks with my Uncle Jeff, who was on episode 13, I believe. Yeah, episode 13. Him and I have had some talks about that because like we left the church and we're just looking for the truth or just like other things. But we came across. Sorry, I said across. It's a bad habit. There's no T or D at the end of a cross. We brought up near death experiences Uh, through articles and and testimonies we've read we've read on uh, near-death experience websites and uh, for anyone who may be mistaken a near-death experience is not almost dying it's you die you're like clinically or i don't know what the the medical word is for it but you're dead you experience an afterlife experience your soul and then you're revived and you kind of tell the story of what the other side is like, what your soul experienced. Um, and uh, But some of these people, uh, some of these testimonies were people that had claimed their own life. And let me just scroll down real quick. They said that they were shown in their life review or judgment or whatever you want to call it. Um, th- a lot of people who have near-death near, near, near death experiences call it the life review because they said they're not being judged by this, this ever-loving being in front of them. They're said instead, instead judging themselves off this pure standard of love that's emitting uh, like through every cell of their soul or whatever and I don't know I thought that was pretty cool but they're showing they're showing how um, their suicide kind of was like a ripple effect how how it started like a stone being thrown in water but then it rippled out until eventually it affected the whole world and I I'll admit I that never made much sense to me, um, or I didn't really grasp it fully um, whenever my uncle told it to me. But after Jordan Peterson's uh, lecture, I kind of, my brain munched on that a little bit. It came back to me, and uh, I just thought about it. That immediate impact that a suicide has on your family, and if that if they never get over that, think about if they live for another 40 or 50 years of I, of course it's going to have a ripple effect out into the world. And I just thought, let's say you have, I don't know, two or three brothers and sisters or how many ever you have in your family, and you kill yourself. That's something that that can't be reversed. So for 40 or 50 years or however long, their attitude towards life and their behavior towards people is changed for 40 or 50 years and it's 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 forever changed in a way that they can't go back from because it's like my my brother or my sister who i loved is dead and think about how many people that you come in contact with in 40 or 50 years i mean just in a year it's like you you can't even wrap your your head around how many conversations no, no matter how small or big they are you have in just one year, in just your small community, whatever town or city you live in. Now, multiply that times how many years, that's a lot of people. And think about how connected you are to just your your small little web. But you're branching out to the larger community, and then there's the web grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And it made sense to me. Like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense that like the impact might not be as severe the farther it spreads out or for the farther the farther the ripple goes from the impact of the stone that was thrown into the water but it does affect the world i don't know it kind of blew my mind when i thought about that but yeah that the the your room <laughs> and the suicide thing really stood out to me i and like yeah as soon as we got done with that i uh <laughs> or as soon as we got back to Alton from Indianapolis, I went and got like this big tub and just cleaned up my room. I felt inspired. And uh, yeah, I kind of listened back to, luckily someone recorded it. I kind of felt like I should have and just kind of wrote down notes. But uh, I just feel like those two things really kind of hit me hard. One, because I, like most people, can get in a bad habit of letting our rooms get messy, but it's like, it's good to do that. And um, it's good to be reminded in a very articulate way um that it's not good to like don't even entertain the idea of suicide at all because you have no idea not only to yourself but to the world really um how bad that is and that that should never be the option in fact he told the the person male or female um anything's better than that like anything's better than suicide Talk to a, a psychologist, take meds. I know meds, like the antidepressant meds, ha, can have bad side effects, but it's better. It's certainly better than the other option. Uh, yeah, just like any other option's better. Trust me. Like he knows, he's seen it. And uh, and while this isn't connected to Jordan Peterson, it actually made me think, I recently stumbled across a video on uh, Facebook, and it was one, it was a guy who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge in San, in San Francisco and lived, and he's one of like 15 uh, survivors, and that, that bridge is, oh gosh, it's like, it's really high. It's like 300 feet up, and uh, not to mention how heavy water is, like, like it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's like, that's, that's pretty much guaranteed death. And he said, fortunately, he lived, but it was the most pain he's been into. I guess he just landed, like, not perfect, but in a way so that it wasn't fatal. Um, but something he said was pretty profound. And he said the millisecond after he let go, he regretted it. And he was just thinking about how many people they regretted it as soon as they let go but they're they're not alive to to let people know that they regretted it and uh his kind of message which was, was kind of the same thing as jordan peterson but he actually tried to take his life he said just like it will get better it sucks right now but do not do it it's not worth it you'll regret it like most people don't have the chance to regret it because they're dead and there's no coming back from that like like take this take this advice and and please, please don't make light of it. But going back to the, um, the clean your room thing, the clean your room thing, I actually found an article online and, uh, <laughs> it broke down the clean your room thing into four little steps and, uh, one. And after I say one, I'll lead it up with like the, the bold, the bold letter point in which, uh, the, the kind of rest of the text is summed up by, Uh, One, it's not easy to clean up your room. Many would think that such a simple concept would be easy and simple to execute. Well, unless you're someone who's high in orderliness and conscientious, (laughs) conscientious, I can't say that word, conscientiousness, and I pronounced it wrong, like myself, then you're going to find it quite challenging to summon the effort for a task like cleaning your room. Many either don't care, don't see the importance of it, are content with the superficial chaos. In fact, many don't even perceive it as chaos. They just accept it. So the first thing he showed me was empathy for other people because it's easy to lay judgment and ask, how can people not do something so easy and impactful? Well, because it's not so easy for them, nor do they perceive it as impactful. Two, your room is a symbol for growth and potential. And here's a quote from Jordan Peterson. You want your room to be set up so when you walk in there, it tells you to be better than you generally are, end quote. How can something so simple as a bedroom have this effect? Well, as Peterson infers, your room is a symbol for your habits. When you walk in your room, you either walk into disorder and confusion or you walk into orderly direction where everything is in its place. But it's not about obsession, open parentheses, which can happen to those who are very high and orderliness, in, in parentheses. It's about a simple French phrase they use in the culinary world, mise en place, which translates to English, everything in its place. And sorry if I mispronounce the French word. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an American. We don't speak that French. Um, <laughs> but number three, uh, some may resent you for wanting to clean up your room. If you live in a chaotic environment where no one is taking responsibility for their environment and life, you're likely to run into confrontation for attempting to perform such a task as cleaning your environment. Those who are disorderly, high in neuroticism and low in conscientiousness, there's that word again, uh, will likely get angry at your attempt to clean your environment. Peter suggest they may think or say, but mostly think, who do you think you are? You think you're better than us? Why do you think this is worthwhile? You cast the weaknesses and flaws of another in a dim light by trying to improve little parts of yourself, such as cleaning your room, uh, hence the emotional response that often occurs. Peterson suggests many might have to go through a civil war in their household to be allowed to do something as simple as keep their room clean. Just another reason that cleaning your room is not as easy as people think. Point number four. And the final one. Everything around you is full of potential. So maybe all you have is a small, decrepit room that has a leak in the ceiling. Peterson quotes, Fix it up. There's more there than you think. See what happens if you fix it up. You'll fix yourself up simultaneously because you'll have to get disciplined to fix up the room. So then you have a fixed up room and you'll be a more fixed up person. You think that nothing will happen as a, cons- as a consequence of that? And to sum it up, uh, that fourth point is the idea is that everything around you has more potential than we can ever full, fully utilize. And I guess that actually sums up the entirety of, of the article. Uh, but yeah, just kind of a little, uh, a little more detail and reassurance on the importance of cleaning up your room. I just thought that was kind of interesting. So I figured I'd throw it in here, but, um, uh, so yeah, that was one of my two recent trips. And the second one was a little bit more, uh, A little more fun. I mean, Indianapolis was fun, but this one was more for just leisure and not for uh, kind of going to get some life advice. But I went for my second time to Chicago, uh, which is really a shame that I've only been there twice. It's a beautiful city and I live in Illinois. So all I got to do is hop on the uh, all I got to do is hop on the Amtrak and four and a half hours. I'm pretty much four and a half hours, five just to be safe. Uh, But I'm there. I'm there in the third biggest city. Uh, in the United States and one that actually feels to me like a true city like it has that that mix of old and modern much like New York City but yeah I was basically just kind of going there to do the stuff I hadn't done last year so last year I went and saw Coldplay at Soldier Field I you know went to Portillo's, got the hot dog got the the Italian beef sandwich uh what else did I do Went to Wrigley Field, although I really wish I would have prepared a little bit more because uh, I only stayed for three hours because I was just so in a frenzy of like trying to get to my Airbnb and then I didn't sleep at all and I went to Wrigley Field absolutely exhausted and I, I don't know, I, I forgot to take a picture in front of it because like with this day and age of narcissism, did it really happen if you, if you didn't take pictures of it? Plus, you can just, like, steal so many other people's pictures and claim them them as your own. So the only way to, like, say, hey, I'm at Wrigley Field, like, Historic Field, is to have someone take a picture of you. So, um, yeah, I did that. I went to Soldier Field to Coldplay. Went to Navy Pier. Um, Let me see what else I did. Uh, Not only this time, but last time. I, I stayed in Chinatown. Just a really, really cool neighborhood. It's really neat. Um, really, you really do feel like you're in China when you're in Chinatown in, in Chicago. Um, let me see, you know, I'm not gonna lie. It might come to me here soon, but I don't remember what I did last time. But basically, uh, the second time around, I was just filling in the gaps of what I didn't do last time. So last time I didn't do, uh, the river cruise, I didn't do the river walk. I, uh, I wanted to go to, uh, the White Sox field last time, but they were out of town. Um, so I didn't get to do that. You know, I actually didn't think about this. I, did, I should have went to the, the United Center this time, too, just to kind of, like, check the outside of it out, check some of the statues. But yeah, so I went to White Sox Field. Well, actually, I didn't go to White Sox Field. I planned on, but they got postponed, and I just didn't feel like making it up the next day because I only stayed for, like, a day and a half. So instead, I went to uh, Chicago Theater to watch uh, Professional Fighting League, It's kind of like, it's pretty much UFC style fighting, but it's set up in a tournament style. So it's not like, there isn't a whole lot of the politics and the business involved with setting up fights. It's set up to where basically whoever wins and whoever gets to the finals of the finals wins. And there's like, it kind of has the pool money tournament. So you end up winning like a million dollars or like a bunch of money. Uh, But that was pretty cool because uh two things one i paid six dollars i think or sixteen dollars after the stupid fees and taxes um for a balcony seat and they said hey here's a ticket let's move it down to the main floor so it was like oh cool i got to go down to the the main floor of the chicago theater and the second one was i got to go to the chicago theater uh which you know what they got a cool sign but I'm not gonna lie, like, and it's it's probably because I'm biased a little bit to uh, St. Louis, just because I consider it kind of like my home city. Uh, but the Fox is way nicer. Like, the Chicago theater is cool, but the, the Fox is way nicer. Just the the seating is nicer. the the inside, like where the performance happens, is nicer. They got this like the sh- the roof and the chandelier is way more grand. They got these cool columns. The lobby. It's way nicer at the Fox. Um, yeah, like people from St. Louis don't really, they don't realize how how blessed you are to have it. Like one, you got one of the best baseball teams in the entire MLB, statistically speaking. Um, then you have Forest Park, which I believe landmass is bigger than the c- Central Park. And pretty much everything in it is free. Including the art museum, and actually another place I went to in Chicago was the Art Institute of Chicago, and it was neat. You know, I went. I, the first thing I did was go to the Impressionist side because that's what I consider real art the the composition and the the beautiful blending of colors and all that stuff. Um, then I went to, I to kind of the contemporary side, which there's some something about a little bit contemporary art that. I can kind of understand. Mainly, I just like the visuals of some of the stuff. But some of the stuff, I just like roll my eyes. I'm like, really? You consider that art? It's it's a freaking... Like one painting was just a big, huge canvas and it had pink paint on it. And that was it. It's like this whole idea. They're like, oh, just because it's a big canvas and it's hung up in a museum, it's art. It's like, no, it's not. It looks like a freaking big, huge sample. Like a paint sample that you would get from Lowe's or Home Depot. It's just garbage. Uh, but while I was like exploring the art, the art Institute of Chicago, once again, I was comparing it to the St. Louis art museum. I'm like, you know what? Like, this is cool, but like, you can't beat free. Like the St. Louis art museum has a amazing collection and it's free. Like you don't like you just walk in there. You don't have to pay anything. And I'm pretty sure the other times I've been there, they've kind of like checked my bags. Um, but you don't have to. Like, with, with the Art Institute of Chicago, you have to. You have to check in your bag. So on top of your fee, which, uh, because I'm an Illinois resident, they took a whopping $2 off of my ticket. So it cost me $20 plus $2 to check in my bag. So it ended up costing me what it would cost a full price uh, out-of-state ticket. But, yeah, I just couldn't. It, it was good, but it was I couldn't justify paying. Zero dollars versus twenty two dollars for an art museum. Oh yeah, something I forgot to mention. Uh if you ever plan a visit to like a city, um check your forecast. <laughs> <laughs> like it was cool for pictures, but I, I I picked the two the two days I was in Chicago or the one and a half. Uh it was both it was rainy. It was just foggy and rainy, so like, some of the skyscrapers, uh, I, I I just love to look up at architecture. You couldn't see all of it. You couldn't see Trump Tower. Uh, you couldn't see the top of Sears. Couldn't see the top of, like, some. I forget what it's called, like Chase. You know, just some of the, the big sky, uh, and legendary skyscrapers there. Plus, uh, it was... Not only is it rainy, it's called the Windy City for a reason. So, on top of this rain, uh, it's windy, and... I don't know if all cities are like this or just Chicago, but the wind picks whatever direction it wants to go in. It's like you can't plan for it to be consistently blowing one way. And so I had this little cheap little um, like $6, little small umbrella you could fit in like a coat pocket. Um, I couldn't tell you how many times this stupid thing flipped upside down, like inside out. And I had to like shove it or do a little jerking movement to uh to push it inside out so that was kind of like a pain in the butt and just yeah it's rainy windy uh my phone's getting wet because i'm trying to like pick up an uber and i'm doing the whole google maps walking directions and then (sighs) while you're paying attention to your phone you walk into a puddle and you get your freaking shoes and socks all wet that's that's one thing i probably should have done i should wear boots or some type of sealed shoe uh, so I didn't have to worry about <laughs> getting my socks and shoes all wet. And then you got to worry about the, ugh, the smell, the, you know, nothing like getting your socks wet. Uh, but one of the things I will say, and I've never been to New York city. I have, uh, but I have a feeling like I'd like Chicago better. Um, like Chicago has the old city feel to it just like New York but unlike New York City uh, it has a pretty good sized river that cuts right through the heart of it like obviously the East River and the Hudson River that cut through the boroughs of New York City but they don't have a river that just cuts through the heart of that and I, I think that is such such an, uh, an awesome and unique feature of Chicago and the fact that, that river is the result of water coming... Yeah, I believe it's the wa- result of water coming in from uh, from Lake Michigan. And there's another thing. Uh, if you're staying in, like, New York City, Manhattan, uh, you kind of have to go a little bit to to go to the Atlantic Ocean, whereas Lake Michigan, which is basically an ocean, you don't really have to go that far at all. And, and there's, there's beaches there, and there's... I mean, they're not like, you know, Florida beaches, but there's beaches nonetheless, and there's, there's quite a few of them you can go to. But one thing I kind of didn't like about Chicago uh, that I've heard some people say is better about New York is there's, there's, there's not a lot of affordable... not a lot of affordable... And free stuff to do in Chicago. Like, Chicago will take your money super quick. <laughs> like, the Chicago Cultural Center, I wanted to go there to get the picture of the Tiffany Dome. That's free. Um, obviously, the the parks are free. The beaches are free. Um, other than that, I can't really think of much. Oh, the, uh, what is it, the, the Griffith? garfield park conservatory that's free but there's not just it's not a lot of stuff that's free like not only do you have to take a train up there or do a round trip train you gotta do Airbnb. So right there it's probably a hundred dollars and then uh if, like i said if you didn't drive there you're gonna take the cta and so for a weekend that's 25 dollars and yeah just i don't know that was my my kind of only complaint about it i guess or one of my complaints. I know I sound like such a, such a typical millennial first world like baby. Like I just need to, I have to remind myself from time to time to stop to be more grateful. If you're not grateful, you're gonna. It's gonna lead to misery. <laughs> oh yeah, and another thing I noticed, and this is not a, a this is not a put down to a lot of Chicago ones. Um. But I've noticed, and you know, I don't expect a lot of people to know Alton, Illinois, or certain things about like Southern Illinois, Central Illinois. Um, but I found a lot of people that I've, I've like talked to just in Chicago, whether it be an Uber driver or just people, like just like workers at a place and I'm just being friendly to, not a lot of like their, their knowledge of Illinois is quite insular to Chicago itself. And I just thought like that's kind of a shame because there's a lot of beauty especially nature-wise, and um, a lot of culture, a lot of neat things about Illinois besides Chicago. Um, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of a shame. One tip I would say if you haven't been to Chicago is with all the, like, the traveling between the L train and walking you have to do, if you go to a restaurant and there's a wait time, just just wait. Um, so, the day I went there, I'd only eaten like one meal. I'd snacked on some stuff, but actual meal, I'd only had one, which was a, a Euro at this place called Euro Mania. And dude, it was one. It was, it was obviously, it was honestly the best Euro I've had. Like, you order it there, and I got a Euro basket, which you can get like the the Euro, and you get either beef, lamb meat, or chicken. Uh, I, of course, did the lamb meat because that's like the OG way to get it. Um, And I kind of wish I would have gotten like er, Greek herb potatoes or the Greek fries, which they put like feta cheese and stuff on. But I just got French fries. Um, but yeah, you order it and you see them take a super sharp knife and they have like this lamb, like pre-cooked lamb leg or something there. And it's on like a, ups, it's like a, on a vertical rotisserie or something. And they just shave the strips off right there in front of you. Like you see it, you can physically see it with your own eyes freshly being made. And they take it over the grill and they fry it. Uh, and they put the tortilla on there and they give you, uh, or at least I got tomatoes and onions and the tzatziki sauce, which is just the Greek way of saying cucumber sauce. And uh, unlike a lot of euros I've had, you know how when you stack like all the ingredients on there, the pita itself, or the pita bread can hardly hold the sandwich or wrap, whatever you want to call it. There was so much lamb meat on there that I, I, I like the pita bread could not hold in all the lamb meat, it was just the lamb meat itself. No other toppings on there. Uh, so what, that was nice because, you know, I was super hungry and I wanted a lot of food, just like a typical Merkle. Um, but I, uh, until then, I, I, I kind of, I have been using a restaurant here in actually Godfrey, Illinois called The Round Table as like my standard of what a gyro tastes like. They've got really good gyros, but this place in Chicago, um, I actually found out about them through Google Maps. Through Google Maps. I typed in best gyros in Chicago and some magazine, some foodie magazine or whatever, said these are the best gyros in Chicago, and I think it was in the West Loop. Uh, but man, they are right. Like, that's my new <laughs> standard of how good a gyro tastes. But yeah, that was the night before. But back to my story, uh, the next morning I woke up hungry, like, and I spent way too much time try- trying to figure out like what breakfast place I was gonna go to. But finally, I just set it on someplace uh, kind of near I on uh, the Navy Pier ish side of Chicago. It's this place called Wildberries uh, Pancakes and Cafe. And they say it's, like, the best, like, cheap cheap breakfast you can get. But when I got there, I saw people were, like, waiting outside. This is a 30-minute wait time. And so I just spent, you know, a decent amount of time debating, uh, should I, like, stay here or should I not? I ended up leaving, and I figured I'd go to another place that I found on Google Maps, and I could not find it for the life of me. Uh, finally, I just gave up and the pressing end to the story was I gave up and went to McDonald's. There's all these amazing restaurants you can go to in Chicago that are like, they might, I don't know if they're a franchise, but they're just, they might just only be located in Chicago and they specialize in crap. And I went to McDonald's. Granted, it was a nice McDonald's. It looked like it was in the financial district of Chicago. So it was kind of, it looked like it, uh, looked like kind of catered to the more wealthy. Uh, But nonetheless, I went to McDonald's, (laughs) and uh, I actually probably spent as much money as I would have got, as I would have spent at the the first place, Um, and if I just stayed at the first place, I wouldn't have lost all this time, but I, 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 gosh, I spent a good amount of money. I got, uh, I got one drink, then I got three sausage, cheese biscuits, and four hash runs, like just a total, total pig. (laughs) So that's my, that's my tip. Don't, don't, don't give up. Don't settle on McDonald's. Just go to that place and gosh dang it, treat yourself and wait in that line. Cause it's probably worth it. Instead of spending 10 to $12 on food you can get literally anywhere else. Like where doesn't McDonald's exist? I mean, I'm sure it even exists in like some of the poorest third world countries. There's some McDonald's, some rundown McDonald's somewhere. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Yeah, so I spent a day and a half in Chicago. Uh, did some things. I'm sure some other things I want to do include go to Guaranteed Rate Field, uh, where the White Sox play. But, um, you know, honest God, I felt kind of Chicagoed out. I did the things that typical people go there and do. Um, I'm glad I did them. Um, and I'm really glad I actually brought my laptop because I got a lot of writing done for podcasts and just writing in general done but uh other than that yeah there's not really much else to say uh like i said just felt to i felt inclined to share the stories and and travels and tips whatever (laughs) that i have with my travels but uh yeah this is episode 17 and um i'm actually recording this in advance so i don't know who the guest is gonna be on episode 18 hopefully someone uh, really interesting, uh, but yeah until then I will see you on episode 18. Thanks for listening
1: Now this could only happen to a guy like me And only happen in a town like this So may I say to each of you most gratefully As I throw each one of you a kiss This is my kind of town Chicago is My kind of town Chicago is My kind of people too People who Smile at you And each time I roam Chicago is called home Chicago Yes, Why I just grin like a clown It's my kind of town My kind of town Chicago And it has all that jazz And this time I leave Chicago is Tugging my sleeve, Chicago